from the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, induced astigmatism after phacoemulsification. The surgical induced astigmatism is composed of two different parts. One is the effective component uh, that manages to effectively reduce the preoperative astigmatism along the meridian of densation, and that's called the flattening. And then there is another component that is the torque. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Barasio declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. As seen from here, the first podcast for physicians, the first podcast to offer CME credit, and the first to offer multinational editions, is now co-sponsored by the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. The ASCRS recognizes the power of this new medium in communication and education of physicians everywhere. This partnership will allow us to bring new content to you and add new voices to our community. From Manhattan to Mumbai, from the Bay Area to Beijing, one conversation as seen from here. When performing cataract extraction on a patient with corneal astigmatism, do you alter the placement of your surgical wounds to address the cornea's toricity? There are two schools of thought here. Number one, orient the surgical wound to correspond to the steep meridian of the patient's cornea. Or, number two, assume that the small surgical wound will have a negligible effect on postoperative astigmatism and place the wound in your preferred orientation. Edmondo Barasio of Moorfields Eye Hospital has made a study of this problem and shares his results with us today. What causes astigmatism after cataract extraction? Is it all wound slippage? Well, uh, yes, mainly it's, uh, um, it's the fact that you actually make a cut in the cornea. So the cornea is an elastic structure, so it changes its shape following the, the incision that you perform. And basically the incision has the effect of adding tissue along the meridian of the incision. So you basically make that uh, meridian flatter. When you say adding tissue, what you mean is is that you're creating a space between the two anterior leaves of the, of the wound. Uh, yes, yes, basically, yes, yes. You... Uh, you add more length to one meridian, a meridian of the cornea compared to the other one. So therefore, that meridian where you have performed incision uh, becomes uh, uh, flatter, and that one, as a consequence, becomes uh, steeper because there is always a coupling effect. One meridian becomes flatter, and the other one becomes steeper. Because what what you cannot change is the insertion of the cornea on the limbus, which is a solid structure all the way around. Right, so by coupling, what you mean is in in tangential wounds as opposed to radial wounds, you get an equal steepening along one meridian of the cornea equal to the flattening perpendicular so that the net power of the cornea does not change as opposed to an incision that is radial. That's the theory. That's the the theory. Um, I mean, 
in practical terms that there are some changes when you perform a, a, an incision or a, um, either an incision for kind of surgery or an AK. Not always the spherical equivalent uh, remains the same as you uh, might expect from physics, but uh, that's all a different uh, topic. I mean, it's, uh, it's quite nasty. Nobody really knows the answer to, to that. What are the determinants in the production of the astigmatism magnitude? Uh, things I would guess like how central the, the wound is or how wide the wound is. What are some of these factors? Yeah, in the in, in, inducement of, uh, in, in the induction, sorry, you mean of the of astigmatism after surgery, there are a few factors that you can, uh, that you should consider. First of all is where you perform the incision in terms of how close to the center of the cornea. So the closer you are to the center of the cornea, the more your incision will have an effect on the preoperative astigmatism. So uh, the more you will manage to flatten the astigmatism along the steeper meridian, where, I mean, along the meridian where you perform the incision. Uh, the farther away it is from the cornea, the less you will affect uh, preoperative corneal shape. Uh, so that's one issue. Um, and the second issue is uh, also uh, where, in which location you perform your incision. So uh, temporal, for example, compared to oblique or superior um, um, meridians. And uh, for example, by definition, if you perform the incision temporarily, you will affect corneal shape less than uh, if you perform it superiorly, just because the cornea is slightly longer on the horizontal axis compared to the vertical axis. So when you do the incision temporarily, you are basically farther away from the center of the cornea. Are there other factors too, things like thermal damage to the wound that can cause greater slippage? Uh, that, that's for sure. I mean, uh, during a normal uh, standard cathode operation, you should, uh, uh, normally there isn't any significant thermal damage, uh, so therefore uh, that should not um, uh, be an issue, but of course if you have a severe burn after FACO, during FACO, then this could cause a significant amount of, amount of astigmatism, and uh, also because if you have a, a significant burn, normally the incision doesn't close properly, and there is leakage so that you have to uh, put some stitches there. Uh, but during a normal standard operation, uh, that should not be uh, an issue, that should not really affect uh, postoperative astigmatism. Now, you discuss postoperative astigmatic surprise. Can I get you to discuss this? Yeah, uh, basically, not always. Um, we managed to uh, achieve the, the planned correction of uh, astigmatism during a cutter surgery with uh, placement of the incision along uh, uh, the desired meridian. For example, um, we know that um, we can uh, flatten, we normally flatten, manage to flatten the meridian of the incision uh, so that we can plan to place our incision for cutter surgery along the steeper corneal meridian. That's called uh, an, an on-axis um, incision. And, um, uh, that in theory should relax that meridian, make it flatter, and reduce preoperative astigmatism. 
but uh, the clinical experience, for example, from AKs, uh, astigmatic keratotomies for higher degrees of astigmatism, um, shows that not all, I mean, that this science is not 100% accurate because sometimes uh, we, after an AK, we see that uh, either there is a small change in uh, astigmatism, uh, some other times uh, uh, there is a, a, a shift in the, in the astigmatism meridian, but not really a reduction of the preoperative magnitude of the astigmatism. And, uh, and sometimes there is a completely unpredictable result. For example, it can be a switch uh, in meridian from a steeper cornea, uh, for example, on the horizontal meridian, we can end up with a steeper cornea on the uh, vertical meridian. Uh, so most of the times we have a we have a, a predictable result uh, from our procedures, but sometimes um, it can be unpredicted surprises like those. Can I get you to describe the design of your study? Um, our study was a randomized controlled clinical trial um, involving 62 eyes in which we compared two different types of incisions for cataract surgery and their effects on um, corneal astigmatism. So we had 62 eyes, 31 um, receiving a clear corneal temporal incision and 31 receiving a clear corneal um, on-axis incision. They were all eyes with mild to moderate corneal astigmatism, preoperatively, uh, all less than 2.6 diopters. And we studied these corneas with corneal topography, um, both preoperatively and after the operation at three and eight weeks. It was a single um, surgeon study and um, one uh, single operator performed all the scans and took all the measurements collected all the data. Um, the important thing about the study is that we marked the steeper meridian at the slit lab after performing corneal topography before bringing the patients to theater for the anesthesia because in many studies they have noticed that um, changing between the, uh, the supine and the seated position for example there can be a significant cyclotorsion in a great amount of, uh, of eyes. Um, so we performed the scans, we marked these eyes at the slit lamp uh, according to the, to the topographies by posing a, a tiny radial mark uh, with gentian violet uh, uh, on the limbus on the steepest uh, coronal meridian and, um, and, uh, and then surgery was performed by, by a single surgeon with a topic with a um, with a subtenon anesthesia, using a two-step, uh, 3.2 millimeter clear corneal incision, either placed on the uh, steeper corneal meridian or uh, temporarily, and um, uh, acros adapt uh, IULs were implanted in, uh, in our cases. So that was uh, the study design, and then we we basically studied astigmatism after surgery and we compare the values uh, between uh, before the operation and uh, after the operation uh, at three weeks and at eight weeks and the things that we analyzed were the surgical induced astigmatism, 
the amount of flattening effect achieved along the meridian of the incision. Um, then we analyzed also the scalar change in the magnitude of astigmatism between before and after surgery. And then we also analyzed the important factors such as the mean absolute uh, torque uh, after uh, our incisions and the mean absolute angle of error, also called alpha, uh, of the incision placement. You compensated for the cyclotorsion that can be um, produced when a patient moves from the position of sitting to the position of uh, uh, lying down, supine, by um, marking the patient's cornea at the slit lamp and then referencing your, your surgery uh, to the observed mark once the patient was uh, lying down for the actual cataract surgery. Can I get you to describe the study population? For example, there was no regarding the property of uh, magnitude uh, of astigmatism, there was no significant difference. I mean, there were no significant differences between the two groups regarding preoperative astigmatism magnitude, um, and um, there was no statistically, uh, in um, regarding the demographics, there was no statistically significant difference uh, regarding um, patient's age and uh, amount of uh, preoperative uh, um, astigmatism uh, uh, magnitude uh, on the corneal topography and uh, regarding uh, astigmatism distribution uh, in the two groups. Now, I understand that the concept of surgically induced astigmatism, I think, pretty well. But um, I'm not so well versed in the idea of surgically induced torque. Can you tell me what that is, you know, what it looks like clinically and, and, and what it, um, what's actually going on physiologically? Yeah. Basically, the torque um, produced during um, any surgical procedure is the ineffective component of the surgically induced astigmatism vector that does not reduce astigmatism on the meridian of the incision, but changes the orientation of the astigmatism. So that when we discuss things like astigmatism that is induced surgically, what we're talking about is forces that translate through the visual axis, through the optical center of the cornea, or through the geometric center of the cornea. And what you're talking about with torque are other forces that are induced that have a component that's tangential. Exactly, exactly. And what does that do to cylinder postoperatively? Does that change the cylinder's axis without changing its magnitude? Uh, exactly, could do that. Um, it's um, let's say that the surgical induced astigmatism is composed of two different parts. One is the effective component uh, that manages to effectively reduce the preoperative astigmatism along the meridian of the incision, and that's called the flattening. And then there is another component that is the torque that doesn't reduce the, um, the preoperative uh, astigmatism along the meridian of the incision, but is like wasted because uh, it just changes the orientation of the, of the cylinder uh, but it doesn't flatten the meridian of the incision, along the meridian of, of the incision. So one is a useful component. I mean, we wish that all our surgical induced astigmatism was made of flattening and no torque at all, because that would mean that uh, 
there would be no angle of error between uh, the meridian where we place the incision and the meridian along which the flattening occurs. Now, what were your results with astigmatism, uh, both in terms of the astigmatism that's effective and in terms of the surgically induced torque? Okay, if we just speak about surgically induced astigmatism, there was a significant difference between the two groups. And uh, with the clear corneal temporal incision, we had a 0.68 diopter of uh, surgical induced astigmatism compared to 0.92 with the clear corneal on axis incision, which is what we expect because we expect that we uh, manage to induce more astigmatism in our favor in terms of reduction of astigmatism. Uh, with a clear corneal on-axis incision than a temple incision. However, if we look at flattening, just in terms of what was really effective in reducing the preoperative astigmatism uh, magnitude at the meridian of the incision, we see that still there was more flattening with the on-axis incision uh, with 0.63 diopters compared to 0.5 diopters uh, in the temporal group. However, this difference was not statistically significant. And uh, if, if you just do a scalar um, comparison of um, change of astigmatism magnitude between before and after surgery, you can see that uh, it, is, uh, it was reduced by 0.2 diopters uh, after an axis incision compared to a slight increase of 0.12 diopters uh, uh, with the temporal incision, and this difference was statistically significant. And, uh, and now if we have a look at two other parameters, uh, uh, like the torque and, um, and alpha, the angle of error of incision placement, we can see that there was more torque in the on-axis incision group with 0.53 diopters of torque compared to 0.28 diopters of torque in the temporal incision group, so less than half, um, almost uh, as half as that. And, um, and alpha value, the mean absolute error, mean absolute angle of error of the incision placement was uh, uh, significantly larger uh, in the on-axis incision group uh, to 26, uh, with 26 uh, uh, degrees of alpha compared to 14.5 degrees now, this sounds like a, a relatively straightforward study where you decided to split groups into those for whom you would orient the incision to the meridian that is steep, and the second group um, where you would orient the incision temporally. But it, it's confusing because, of course, some patients were steep temporally. How did you work with them in terms of your analysis of your data? Exactly. That was a very, very tricky point that we actually realized uh, uh, when uh, the trial had already been uh, started. And uh, there were, in fact, some eyes which uh, posed a classification problem because we didn't consider that initially when we wrote the protocol, but we faced this problem later uh, during the analysis. Because, of course, there were some eyes uh, that were steeper, um, let's say, for example, at 180 degrees, so these eyes had uh, uh, against the rule of astigmatism, and those eyes, some of those eyes, received a 
temporal clear cornea were randomized to receive a temporal clear corneal incision. So they actually belong to the to the group of um, uh, temporal clear corneal incision. However, uh, these eyes at the same time were receiving, in fact, an anaxic uh, uh, incision because the incision for them was placed on the, on the on the steepest corneal meridian. So initially we. We, we stuck to the to the original plan, of course, uh, with the, uh, as uh, as provided by the randomization process, and uh, and those are the results that uh, have uh, the, the results that I told you um, uh, were in fact uh, uh, those with this approach, and then we said, okay, let's try now to reanalyze all these eyes uh, that pose this classification problem to that group. And let's repeat analysis to see if there is any difference. And we were glad to, s to see that there was actually no statistically significant difference between uh, the two approaches. So basically, we are quite confident that uh, uh, these results are uh, correct. Was the amount of surgically induced astigmatism related to the amount of astigmatism that the patient had preoperatively? Uh, well, actually, we didn't uh, analyze that directly in the paper. However, if I remember well, uh, I think there was a very, very mild uh, um, correlation with that. And um, and it's always the case that the, the, the greater the stigmatism uh, magnitude proactively, uh, the greater the reduction uh, you will achieve uh, normally in, uh, in terms of um, reduction of stigmatism after surgery. Uh, just because it's uh, normally it's quite proportional to the to the amount of preoperative uh, astigmatism value. From an independent point of view, independent of the idea of comparing a wound that's aligned with the meridian that is steep as compared to a wound that is in, uh, that is aligned uniformly temporally, is there? Evidence that the degree of surgically induced astigmatism varies with the position of the wound. Does um, a temporal do, do temporal wounds in general uh, produce more astigmatic change or less uh, change than wounds oriented um, vertically? You know, at ninety. Where a temporal incision, you are you expect to induce less astigmatism than with any other incision, just because of how the cornea is shaped. The cornea is longer um, on the horizontal meridian compared to the, to the vertical meridian and to any other meridian because uh, that's uh, its anatomy. So you will be further away from the center of the cornea with a temporal incision and therefore you will induce less astigmatism. Do you think that there's some effect also of the action that the lids have in terms of flattening an incision that's at 12 o'clock as opposed to one that's temporal? It is possible that the continuous uh, uh, blinking and action of the lids on the cornea uh, surely uh, affects uh, corneal shape and uh, probably affects its, its elasticity along different meridians. But what we uh, thought was really interesting here was um, a study performed by Meek and Boot um, in which they analyzed the arrangement of corneal fibers along different meridians of the of the cornea and in different uh, areas of the cornea, and what they found is that was that 
there was a, an orthogonal arrangement of collagen fibrils in the central parts of the cornea compared to a circumferential arrangement along the um, peripheral sectors nearer to the, to the limbus. And, um, and also they postulated that it, along the, this angulus there is a circumferential structure uh, uh, along the, around the periphery of the cornea. The density of corneal fibers could be different from place to place. So therefore, uh, this could probably account for different in the elasticity along the different corneal meridians. And also, it is possible that uh, with your clear corneal incision, if you, if you cut through uh, an area of the cornea in which um, there is more density of corneal fibers, you're going to affect corneal shape in more and, and therefore induce more astigmatism than compared to other areas where there are less fibers or vice versa. We, we really don't know. So what would be really interesting would, would be to, uh, to do an in vivo study um, as they have done, but uh, anal anal analyzing the different um, arrangements in um, of corneal uh, of collagen of, um, of corneal uh, of collagen fibrils uh, um, according to the preoperative uh, uh, astigmatism meridian and uh, orientation. The term that you used in the paper was the circumcorneal annulus of collagen fibrils, and the postulation is is that uh, this annulus has uh, areas that are more critical with respect to the production of cylinder, and that it, it, it may well be that the structure uh, of the annulus temporally is such that uh, wounds will produce less cylinder than they would uh, if they affect the part of the annulus that's up at 12 o'clock. Yeah, what would be more interesting to analyze probably is if uh, there is a correlation between uh, a meridian of the steeper, um, um, uh, I mean, it, it would be interesting to see if there is a correlation between the uh, orientation of the steeper corneal meridian and the density of collagen fibrils along the different meridians of the cornea. That would be very interesting. Let me ask you this sort of as a bottom line question. What do you do in your own practice? Do you orient your wounds where the patient's steep? And, and does it matter if the uh, cylinder is, is very high? Will you be more likely to orient or uh, not orient your uh, uh, wound to the um, steep K? Well, my approach is uh, that for corneas, with the property of astigmatism greater than 2.5 diopters, uh, uh, I will not attempt to uh, achieve a full correction of the astigmatism by just placing the incision on axis because that's not going to be enough. So you've got to couple that uh, to um, further uh, astigmatic uh, procedures such as uh, astigmatic keratotomies or limbal relaxing incisions. And, uh, if the stigmatism is, le is less than 2.5 uh, diopters, then uh, uh, I tend to go on axis, and um, if the stigmatism is, uh, is significantly less than that, is uh, in the range of 0 0.75 diopters, then I would not really bother um, too much, and I would just place my incision uh, 
uh, temporarily uh, staying as further away as I can uh, from uh, from the corner, basically almost in the j just before the limbus. When we analyze surgically induced astigmatism, uh, we can't analyze just the change in, the, in magnitude or in the direction of astigmatism independently, because this is completely misleading. You always have to analyze magnitude and direction uh, at the same time. Because, for example, let's uh, let's take an eye which has one diopter point five of astigmatism against the rule before surgery. Then you do your surgery, and then you end up with uh, maybe zero point twenty five diopters of astigmatism with the rule. So, if you just analyze the difference in uh, in direction of astigmatism. Basically, there has been a rotation of 90 degrees uh, in the orientation of the astigmatisms. So you would assume that this was a very, very bad outcome. However, you had a complete reduction of the astigmatism along uh, uh, 0 and 80 degrees, and then you had a switch of the astigmatism on the opposite meridian, but it's just of 0 0.25. So in fact, it is a very good result. Thank you very, very much. Not at all. It was a pleasure. Edmundo Barasio is Anterior Segment and Refractive Surgery Fellow at the Moorfields Eye Hospital in London, United Kingdom. His paper, Torque and Flattening Effects of Clear Corneal, Temporal, and On-Axis Incisions for Fakeway Emulsification, appears in the December 2006 issue of the Journal of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Ask questions of Dr. Barasio or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275. Or Skype J Young MD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the new media project of the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.